happened this week? We got our first youth meeting on Tuesday. Neil is, is going to be, uh, I think, taking some kids out for ice cream or something. Right, Neil? Where you at? Is he outside greeting, talking to somebody? All right. <laughs> He's probably talking with people. But yeah, they're, they're going to be, and I, it was funny, I, I asked him if I could maybe come and just be a youth leader. And he was like, I don't know. I needed some credentials and make sure you're all good. And I was like, I, I just want to just hang out with the kids. And she, he's, he said, okay, so I get to do that. Um, so I'm going to be popping in every now and then and that and hanging out because my three kids are going to be a part of that and it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you know a teenager that, uh, that uh, would like to be in community, that's a great community to start to be a part of. And it's just a, another offshoot of the mission in our big community, just the community of teenagers. It's scary for some of you. Some of you are like, I'm going to stay away from that community. But that's okay. (laughs) I was a junior high pastor for 10 years, so I get that. But I'm a little crazy, so it works out. Um, In fact, when I was a freshman, I remember a time when I I was really, okay, I was scrawny. I was small. Um, I actually grew a foot in one year from junior to senior year. So I was a very short 5'1", 5'2", kid. Uh, and I just remember, I, I, okay, if you're over 34, you probably remember this, right? Remember that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I'm like every, every old, okay, you just, first of all, told me how old you were. But secondly, you, 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 you know, you went there because that's the karate kid, right? Like, you guys remember that. And I went to the movies with my brother and, and watched like eight movies because we would pay for one and watch eight because we were bad. But one of those movies was the karate kid. And I remember going and, and seeing that and every kid that walked out was like, yeah, you know, trying the crane kick. To, and I just remember that that kind of was like my start in this martial arts experience. And I remember watching Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah, like Bruce Lee, that was cool, right? Enter the Dragon and all those cool things. And I just remember seeing all the kung fu flicks. And I was hooked as a kid because I was small and I would get picked on every now and then. I know, right? You're like, who would pick on Chris? A lot of people. So um, I, I, uh, I remember going, man, what, if I ever get the time or the money, I want to I do martial arts. And... Um, you know, and so I ended up, uh, my, my dad said, hey, I'll pay for you to go. So I went to this place called Kaju Kenpo. Um, it was a form of martial arts. It's karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, kenpo, and Chinese boxing, or a kung fu. And it was, um, it was a mouthful. But anyway, basically, it, it was really cool because I was in there, and I remember getting my gi, and they were black, not white, because it was Chinese, not Japanese, and it was really cool. And we called our uh, a sensei sifu, because that was Chinese, sensei is Japanese. Anyway, a lot of interesting things. We didn't go to a dojo. We went to a kun. Yeah. So anyway... It was cool. And I just remember going in and going, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. This is exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that move, right? There's going to be that. And I'm going to, yeah. And the first time we sat down, and this guy knew what he was doing. He was a black belt, like fourth degree, been in, um, in martial arts for 40 or 50 years. He's one of those kung, uh, kung fu kind of masters that, that's really like a master. You know what I mean? Like an older guy that was just like your, you know, he kind of represented that, that sensei, I guess you could say. And so and he just said, there is no secret to Kung Fu. There is no secret weapon. There is no special move. And I'm just like, you know, as he's talking, I'm just like, oh, what did I sign up for? You know what I mean? I just remember being a part of that. And that was the first thing he said. He said, but what there is, I will teach you the secret of discipline. 
I will teach you the basics. And you will hate the basics. <laughs> but you will do the basics. So much so that eventually it will become so a part of you that you will become a master. And I just remember thinking, and I was like, ah, oh, I wanted that secret move. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you guys kind of ever have been there. I know you have, right? Some of you are old enough now to where you've been hoodwinked one too many times into that secret financial get-rich-quick, and it didn't really work quick at all, if anything. <laughs> How about the lose weight with this pill? No, it doesn't work. doesn't work, right? Um, how about that self-help book? of which there are millions, and you buy thinking, if I just read this, then, and no, it doesn't work that way. It all comes back to the basics, doesn't it? And I just remember doing 500 kicks and 500 punches until I wanted to go puke. <laughs> I hated it. And I remember dreaming about punching and dreaming about kicking. Now, I did it for a year and a half. I wish I actually, I got really, I got actually pretty good at it. And it got to a point where I could almost do it in my sleep. I was doing it in my sleep, you know? But the concept was simple. He's like, if you get this and you do it right, eventually it'll become natural. And it's just how you will react. How you, if something happens, if someone tries to kill you, you'll be able to react. It's funny because I'm kind of a pacifist, so here I am, a kung fu artist, right? But, um, but anyway, the, the, the point was, it was the basics. And I wanted, that, I wanted that quick thing, just like a lot of us. We want that quick thing. But the truth is, it comes down to the basics, doesn't it? It comes down to the simple stuff that we just need to know and practice. And the more we do that, the more we get how to live efficiently and right and what we were meant to be. And the interesting thing is, we're going to be looking, by the way, at the basics, kingdom basics. In fact, I, I, we're so blessed to have Jason, who is an amazing, like, okay, first of all, worship, hello, but he's also a creative arts pastor. And if you guys see any kind of uh, graphic, I mean, look how cool this is. I, it's so awesome. Yeah, he's like kind of embarrassed right now. He's like, oh, you know. But you know what? I mean, honestly, it's like, Jason, we're going to do this new series. He's like, okay, okay, well, tell me what it's about. And, you know, and then he comes up with this amazing graphic that shows, I think, better than I could ever even say it. And I, and I love it. But it comes down to the basics. And that's what we're going to be talking about for a while. We're actually going to be jumping to the New Testament. Some of you guys have gotten a little tired of the Old Testament. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going through Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And I think what's cool about the Sermon on the Mount is... When you look at the Gospels, you see what God does through Jesus Christ or how we're supposed to live. In fact, let me just put it this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have him saying what it looks like to be a disciple. And in the Gospels, we have him showing us what it looks like to be a disciple or a follower of God. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of Jesus' only sermons that he actually gives you know, here we've, in Christianity in general, the church, we, we base a lot of stuff off of sermons and different teachings, and Jesus didn't give very many of those, official ones. And so this is really cool because it has to do with the basics. And I just, I, we want to focus on that. And the first kingdom basic that we're really going to look at, surprise, surprise, Thanksgiving's coming, is thanks, thankfulness. We want to look at thankfulness. And hopefully next month, as we get close to Christmas, we're going to be looking at the basics of God walking amongst us, coming as a, as a baby in a poor, poor way to do an amazing, insurmountable thing that we could never do, no matter how much time or money we ever had and what he did for us. And so we want to look at that next time, in the next month. But for right now, we're going to look at thankfulness. So the gospel, do you guys know what the gospel means? 
Good news. Absolutely. In the Greek, gospel means good news. Did you know that the gospel in the good news, it also has bad news? <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Because it's like so good. It's good news. And, and, and a lot of times we as, as Christians, we have a message that to some extent can be an, an, an affront to a lot of people. In fact, the Bible says that, that, that the message can be, um, it can be an anathema. It can be a, a, a something when you say it to somebody, they're, they're angry. Because you have, to, you have to tell them in such a way that sometimes it's, it, it, that news is like, I didn't even know I needed that news. I didn't even know that was important to me. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at thankfulness and what it means. But we have to understand it in its context and everything else. Um, see, when I learned how to kick the first time, and when I learned how to punch the first time, I learned that if I were to actually punch somebody the way I thought to punch somebody, I would break my fingers and break my knuckles. And, the, and, and, and my Sifu had to come over and say, okay, if you punch somebody that way, and he would say, go ahead. And this guy was an old guy. He said, punch me in the stomach. That was really cool. Like, you see an old man that comes up to you, punch me in the stomach. This guy was rock hard. And I remember punching him in the stomach, and I went, ow. A, because his stomach was really strong, but also um, because I punched wrong. And he had to show me how basically to hold my... And then the same with kicking. I would have broke my toes. And he had to show me how to kick right. And so as I learned how to do that, even though it was hard to me, it wasn't natural. What was natural would have, would have hurt me. It would have broke my hands and broke my feet. So as he showed me those basics, I was able to use my hands and use my feet to where they wouldn't hurt. And I think to some extent, the Lord comes along and says, I've given you... I've given you life. I've given you hands. I've given you feet. And I want to teach you how to use those. So much so that you're not breaking things and you're not hurting people. But you're living a life that's kingdom first. That's truly loving me, truly loving others, and getting out there. Make sense? So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. For the, for the truth that you have for us in this series and, the, and what your word says about thankfulness and how we can truly be thankful. Lord, you have something for us. Help us to be open to what it is you want to say. Help us from keeping, or help us to keep from breaking ourselves and the world around us and to use our hands and use our feet for your kingdom. Lord, thank you so much for what you want to do. And I just pray that we would be people who look to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so everybody stand on up. And we're going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 4. And some of you just realized that that's not the Sermon on the Mount. But that's okay, we'll talk about that. Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. It goes out like this. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Now, you have to understand something real quick. From then on, he had just been tempted by the devil. He had just come out of the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, fasting, and going through very, 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 very difficult trials where he was tempted by the devil himself. Pretty crazy stuff. So that's where we pick up right now. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once followed him. 
Now, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Okay, you can be seated now. Uh, you might be thinking, like, why, if we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at King of Bays, why would you start with Matthew chapter 4, which has nothing to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Ha-ha, I'm glad you asked that question. Okay, so first of all, it's all about context, isn't it? Hey, have you ever just been watching a movie and you're really into it? And then someone comes in halfway through and you're just, and, and the whole time you're sitting there going, okay, I can't explain this to you. Just watch it from the beginning. And they keep asking, well, why is so-and-so doing the, you know, some of you have been to a movie that you've been really wanting to see and someone brings that three-year-old, right? And no matter how much that three-year-old has been watching, how long, they just can't get the correct context because they don't understand it. I, I remember we watched this movie with my, and it was not a good movie to bring a kid to. And, and this was a long time ago when I was with my, with my dad and my stepmom, and I, was, I think I was in high school or something, and we watched this movie. It was kind of, I think it was one of those rated R movies. And the kid kept asking very loudly, Mommy, why's the head in the bag, Mommy? Why's the head in the bag? You know, and we're all just still going, oh my gosh, you know. First of all, why did you bring a kid to see this movie? And secondly, I mean, it's in there because, you know, you just want to, you, you get what I'm saying? Let me, let me put it another way, context. Let's say I come home and I hear my wife's on the phone. And she's talking on the phone, right? And she's just talking and I'm like, oh, I wonder who she's talking to. And she mentions, the, she says, Mandy. Oh, she's talking to Mandy. Okay, I know who that is. That's my buddy Nate's wife. Okay, yeah. And I hear her say, that's horrible, Mandy. My ears pick up. What, what happened? What happened, right? I'm listening. Wait, so he just vomited all over the couch? And I go, oh, Nate's sick? He vomited all over the couch. Oh my gosh, what happened? And then I hear her say, but, but where did he get the drugs? And I go, oh my gosh, my buddy Nate's a drug addict. And he just puked all over the couch. He's a mess. I better go tell somebody to pray for him. Yeah, you got that. It happens a lot, right? And then, and then I hear her say, well, I'm glad that you're taking him to the doctor. And, oh, now he's, go he's going to rehab now. Nate's in rehab. That's okay. He's, at least he's getting help. And she gets off the phone eventually, and I walk over to go, man, Nate's in bad tra trouble, huh? He's thrown up and going to rehab. And she's like, you're an idiot. Let, let me explain something to you. It's their dog. Some medicine fell on the floor and he ate it. Then he puked all over the couch or taking him to the doctor or the vet. Oh, right. Context. You get it? Context is everything. If you don't have correct context, then you don't really know where things are going. And unfortunately, I think we see this in the church a lot. There's a lot of misuse of Scripture. There's a lot of misunderstanding on what Christians should be doing. And where we should be going. And how we should be going and doing it. Because of the context. And so I think if we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at the basics. We need to understand the context of where and what the kingdom of heaven is. And what Jesus is talking about. So, context is everything. With that, let, let me just say the first thing that we're going to look at 
um, is true, in, in thankfulness, is true thankfulness grows in us with correct context. True thankfulness grows in, connect, or in correct context. Now, the way I could see that is from then on, in verse 17, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that just, if we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, we can miss it. So this is the correct context. Jesus starts out his ministry, and in fact, the Sermon on the Mount, and when we look at what Jesus is doing, he's starting out saying there's two kingdoms. Where are you? There's the kingdom of heaven. There's God's kingdom. And then there's man's kingdom. What's your context? This is what we see with what Jesus is doing. He uses an interesting word here. He says it, it, repentance. And the word is meaneo. Okay? It's an interesting word. It's meaneo. It's a, how to, you know, those Greeks, they just have a way of saying things. But uh, meaneo is really simple. It just literally means you're walking one way or you're on this path and all of a sudden you realize, huh? This is not the right path. Or this isn't the right way. I better get on the other path. Or turn around and go back the other way. It's a very simple concept. And Jesus comes along and says, hey. And by the way, he's talking to all people. He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to Gentile people. He's talking to men. He's talking to women. He's saying, in your kingdom, you're in the wrong kingdom. There's the kingdom of heaven over there. Follow me. And I love this part. But this is the correct context. And if we're going to understand thankfulness in its correct context, then we need to be in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you're not going to be thankful. You're going to be thankless. So let's look at this. What is a true kingdom? Now, I've got some things written down because it's easy for them to talk about a kingdom because they knew kingdoms. We don't really get kingdoms. In fact, a lot of times I've tried to understand this as looking at our kingdom or quote-unquote empire, which is not a good thing to say all the time to people because can, you can be misinterpreted. Like I talked about the kingdom of America and people are like, what are you talking about? And they get their shotgun. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> it's, I'm not dissing America. It's just, it's a kingdom. That's the way it is. We're all in these different kingdoms. We just don't have a president or a, 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 a king. We have a president. Do you get what I'm saying? Everywhere is a kingdom. Now, when we talk about kingdom, let me, just, let me just say this really quick. A kingdom is simply the range of our effective will. It's simply the range of our effective will. Now, this seems really complex, but actually it's really, really simple, okay? Have you ever seen a little four- or five-year-old boy play Legos? I think this is a really good understanding of this, okay? Playing Legos, or even better, you ever been at the beach? And you see kids building a sand castle and doing all that stuff? What they're doing is they are using their will in their effective range to build their kingdom. Whatever it is, their sandcastle, their Legos. And the best part is when they're done, and what do they do? Ha! And they smash it. This is the boys, right? They're like, ah! And they smash it. Because they have an effective will over that. They can do that. That's the range of it. And to some extent, you have a range of your will. You decide what you're going to wear. You decide what you're going to eat. You, as Calvin said, have a kingdom in your breast. You have a kingdom in your heart. You are a kingdom. Jesus comes along in the correct context and says, what kingdom are you in? Meaneo. Because the kingdom of heaven is over here. Do you get it? 
Now, this is an interesting thing because in the beginning, by the way, we were all created in God's kingdom, for God's kingdom, to partner with him. In fact, if we were to look at this, it's to work in relationship with him and through him as partners. He let us rule and reign, creating us in his image. Let me ask you a question. Have we done what we needed to do with the responsibility that we've been given? I I wouldn't say that. In fact, I think we've kind of messed things up. I think the saddest thing is, is to see people who their kingdom is taken away. We see this today in slavery. You don't even allow them to be a person. They have no effective will. They have no range of their will. They do what you tell them to do. It's the saddest thing ever. And we weren't created to be that way. We were created to partner with God and his kingdom to do his will, which is perfect and pleasing and awesome. And yet we have our own kingdom since the beginning of time that we've said, nope, we don't want your way, God. We want our way. And this is the idea, by the way, of sin. Sin is everything not in God's kingdom. Does that make sense? Persons living outside of the kingdom of God and what God has for them. This is why sin is so simple. I think we can gobbledly gook this word up and create it into something that's completely different about. But the truth is, either you're in God's kingdom or you're not. And that's what Jesus is saying. Repent. God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is here. By the way, the world is affected by this. We affected the world in such a horrible way. I mean, honestly, I was just talking with Mark about this, about how I wish we could get a bunch of people together and go over to the Philippines. It's such a horrible thing. We have churches there. We have Filipino brothers and sisters that are now without homes, maybe without family. And I'll tell you right now, they're hurting and they're in pain. And our world is broken. The kingdom that we've created here is dying. And Jesus comes along and says, I get this. God gets this. That's why I'm here. Because eventually I'm going to make everything right. But I'm going to give you a choice. Because God doesn't push. He comes along and he gives us a choice. Are you going to join my kingdom? Because my kingdom is about life and love and truth and making things right. By the way, you can't go anywhere in this world without running into the problem of sin. How about the government? Do I need to really (laughs) go into detail there? They're messing it up all over the place. The school system, the family system, the individual, even the church. Sin affects it all. Not always being about the kingdom of God. Paul talks about this, by the way, in Romans chapter 3. Let me just read this. He sums this up, and I love it, because it's so basic. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentile, are under what? The power of sin, in the kingdom of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. I could pray right here. (laughs) And we'd be done. And you'd be like, I had no idea thankfulness was so depressing. (laughs) 
But can I just say, without correct context, this makes no sense. You see, we need to know who we are without God if we're going to be truly thankful. It's kind of like that boat that doesn't think two thoughts about the lighthouse until they're in deep fog and the rocks are close. And I don't know if you ever heard that story of the, the boat and the lighthouse. And the lighthouse is contacting the boat saying, turn now, turn now. And the boat says, uh, thanks for the advice, but we're going in. No, you need to turn around. Well, we appreciate your advice, but we're doing what we want to do. Please don't contact, contact us anymore. We have a shipment. And the lighthouse finally says, you don't understand. I'm the lighthouse. You're about to hit the rocks. See, correct context. It matters. And if we're going to be truly thankful, we need to understand what we need to be thankful from. And it's the context of the kingdom of man, which has fallen apart. We need God's kingdom. I know, uplifting and amazingly um, fun. You guys are all have smiles on your faces now, right? You're like, I feel so jazzed. I'm going to go out and hug an orphan. Um, you know, honestly, I, if we ended here, this would be a sad thing. But you see, we have two more things that I really want to point at that I think are so awesome. Because God never says just, hey, repent, peace out. He says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And I love that. The kingdom of heaven is near. True thankfulness, if you're right taking notes, true thankfulness grows in us because Jesus came. Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus comes in to the situation. The, ner- the, the word here for near is really simple. It's angizo. Um, and, and it's an interesting word. It literally means uh, to bring near or to join one to another. Uh, to some extent, when you're married, you're angizio. Right? You could be near, but you're not really near until you get married and you're really joined together. Does that make sense? And that's the concept here of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, look, I know the context, but guess what? I'm here. Pretty soon we're going we're gonna to sing a song, O Come, Emmanuel. Right? You, you know that song? How many of you grew up singing that song? It, it, right? Great song. Emmanuel means God with us. See, God could have just said, you guys are in a mess. Look what you've done. The sandcastle's broken. But he sent his son to come near. This is why we can be truly thankful. It's awesome. The beauty of this is that God sent his son to bring us back to his kingdom. See, God just doesn't tell us. And that's the, that's the hard part. When we hear it, we're like, oh man, now what? Jesus says, follow me. I'm bringing you to the other side. I'm bringing you to the kingdom. You can met an AO and follow me, and I'll bring you. I love what Dallas Willard says. He's one of my favorite authors. If you guys are ever going to read a book that'll blow your mind, The Divine Conspiracy is awesome. And your brain will be like mush after you read it because it's so amazing, and it just <laughs> blows my mind. But I love the way he translates John 3.16. And he says this, God's care for humanity was so great that he sent his son, his unique son, among us, so that those who count on him might not lead a futile and failing existence, but have the undying life of God in, in himself. I love that. 
Because God's not content with just leaving us. That's why we're thankful. That's why we can be thankful. That's how we can practice true thankfulness, is knowing that God sent his son and came so that we can draw near. Because he first drew near to us. Lastly, true thankfulness grows in us because Jesus calls us. I, I love this. One day as Jesus was walking, it just seems so random, right? right? He's like, hey, repent. Okay, God, I'm here, kingdom of heaven. And then all of a sudden we see in the next scene, he's just calling people, hey, come and follow me, right? It seems so random. Again, it's context. But if you understand it where he's saying, look, two kingdoms, I'm here. Now I'm calling you. And he does this with these guys. Look, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. I love this because this is also very misquoted. People, I run into people all the time and say, what do you, you know, what do you, what's your job as a disciple? I'm to be a fisher of men. No, you're not. Unless you're a professional fisherman. Are you a professional fisherman? No. Then that doesn't actually mean anything to you. <laughs> he was talking to fishermen. If he was talking to a contractor, he would have said, I'm going to make you a builder of people. Do you get it? It has nothing to do with fishing. But it has everything to do with calling people where they're at. Where are you at? He's calling you. They were just sitting there doing their family trade. By the way, they weren't appropriate disciples, quote unquote. Appropriate disciples wouldn't be fishing. They'd be studying Torah all day long because they would have been picked because of their intelligence and their smarts and everything in between and how good they were for God. These guys, they were kickbacks. They were doing the family business. They didn't make it in Torah school that all good Jewish boys would have grown up doing. But Jesus calls them where they're at. And he says, I know you're good fishermen. I'm calling you to be a fisher of people. And he looks at you and he says, I know you're a good mom. I'm calling you to be a mom for my kingdom. I know you're a great CPA. I'm calling you to be a CPA for the kingdom. I know you're a good doctor. I'm calling you to be a doctor for the kingdom. I know you are a good builder. Be a builder for the kingdom. You get what he's saying? He calls us where we're at. This is awesome. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, and from all over Judea, from east of the Jordan River. Now, what you should do is all go, <gasps> let's try that, all right? I'm going to read this, and I want you to appropriately do this if you did, if you, you know, if in context. After I read this, I want to hear that gasp, okay? Here we go. This is your part. You ready? Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Very good. Awesome. You guys are great. Take you on tour. No, you know, the, the, guys, seriously though, this, this is like huge. This is huge. We just read that like, oh, cool, people are following him. No. A good Jewish rabbi doesn't accumulate a bunch of unhealthy, sick, non-Jewish, good people. You don't do that. You don't go talk to the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a conglomeration of ten towns. And these towns were full of, well, you and me. <laughs> Gentiles. Bad people. People that didn't know God from, you know, they didn't know. Bottom line, this should blow us away. It's like Jesus setting up church in Central Park in the middle of New York City. 
This is the context. Why? Because the Sermon on the Mount isn't just meant for the crew, the tiny core little group of people down here that are perfect, that are they're doing everything right. Jesus is speaking to those he came to, which was the whole world. The representation, you and me, everyone. He wants to call us all. I love that. You see, true thankfulness grows when we know that Jesus calls us. Now, so what, right? This means nothing unless we put it into application. Because I could just tell you some things and you're like, wow, Jesus calls me great. And you walk out and then that's it. But what does this mean to you? What does this mean to your life? I guess the question I would ask is, are you in correct context? One of the easiest ways to know if you're living in the context of the kingdom or the context of the kingdom of man, God or man, is where in your life are you not, you're not thankful? Maybe you're a little thankless. Maybe you have this gnawing sense of, I'm upset, I'm mad, and I'm not thankful. That's a warning light. That's a big warning light. Because people who are in the kingdom of heaven learn to be content, as the Apostle Paul says, in all situations. Because their focus is not on the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God. And God always wins. God always loves. God always perseveres. God always pushes. God always gets us to a point where we know that he's God and he's in control and he's doing something. But if you're looking at this kingdom and you're focused on this kingdom, you're going to be thankless. I know, I've been there. You know how many jobs I've had? (laughs) There were times I went into work and I said, I hate this job. Guys, I suck sewers for Victorville. That was a fun one. Used to go up to a sewer and grease like you wouldn't believe and cockroaches. I remember we went and did one. We popped that lid. I had four or five albino cockroaches about that big jumping off of me. I'm like, what the, you know, I mean, two in the morning. Who wants cockroaches crawling all over them? No, that's not fun. (laughs) Sign me up. No. And I would come home ticked off. And I'd kick things and I'd be mad. People, how are you doing? I don't want to talk to you. You get what I'm saying? You know, there's this story of a guy in China. He was a Chinese believer in Christ. He was a Christian who accepted Jesus. And by the time he was in, like, junior high, high school, he got thrown into prison, and he was in prison his whole life. And because he was a Christian, he would sing songs all the time about Jesus, and he would sing, and the guards hated him. So you know what they did? They said, guess who's on septic tank duty? You. And they would put him on a rope, and he would drop him down into a big, huge cistern tank full of people's excrement (laughs) and they'd say let's hear him sing now and he would come back up and he'd clean that thing so great and he'd have and he'd have a smile on his face and he would sing to Jesus every stinking time you couldn't take his joy you couldn't take his thankfulness Another story that blew me away was I was talking to a guy that went to India and he was there in India and he was hanging out with all the lepers. They went to the leper colony because Christians are wacky. I don't know if you guys know this. <laughs> Real Christians is the most, being a Christian is the most daring thing you'll ever do. And these Christians, they basically just minister to and hang out with people with leprosy. And there's this one lady there and she had been so leprous and covered. She had no fingers anymore. She had barely any toes. Her nose had fallen off. 
It's called Hansen's disease today. But the leprosy, it just it eats away and you're falling apart. And they were having a worship service. And this lady was lifting what little hands she had left up and she was worshiping the Lord and she had such a smile on her face. And this guy was talking about it and he said he came home and he was worried about this and he was worried about that and job and this. And he said, who am I? Why am I so thankless? This lady, falling apart, loved the Lord and was thankful. And what did she have? Nothing. Nothing. You see, when you put your context in this kingdom, good luck. Because it can be taken away at any time. It can be taken away at any time. But when you put your context in the kingdom of heaven, of which Jesus calls you to and comes near to bring us to, awesome. He came for you. Is being in a relationship or married just about what you can get and how it makes you feel? Is life basically about you and your kingdom? God wants to partner with you. And he wants to make you thankful. Now, I'm going to take a cue from Andy Stanley here. When I ask the question, do you know that he came for you, I'm going to talk to the non-Christians right now. (laughs) If you're a non-Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but he's come to you. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. And I don't mean that to be cruel. I'm just saying that it doesn't matter. Jesus comes to you. Bunch of salty, stinky fishermen. And he calls them out. He came to everyone. If you don't get that from this context, then you're missing Christianity. If we're making it about who you are and what you need to do before, then we've messed it up. You don't need to do anything. Just recognize that he's come for you. Now, Christians, one of the most misquoted Scriptures in the Bible is Revelation chapter 3. Lo, or behold, I stand at the door and I knock. You know that's to Christians. Now, I'm not against people using that for non-Christians, but honestly, when that was written, that wasn't written for non-Christians. That's bad hermeneutics. That's bad exegesis of the New Testament. Because the truth is, when, when Jesus says, and John's writing this, that Jesus, I love this, it says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church of Laodicea, to be more correct. People who know him. Because yes, you can be a Christian and operate in context of your own kingdom. You can be called by God and go back to fishing. And forget that you're supposed to be fishing for him. You can be a contractor, and you can be contracting for your own pocketbook. Or you can be contracting for Jesus. This is the hardest thing. I remember, I was a waiter. Anybody work in the service industry? I'll tell you, anybody wants to know if mankind is sinful? Just be a waiter for a week. People are not nice. And I remember going on Sundays. I had to work on Sundays. And, and I remember all my colleagues. I worked at a lot of different places, from Claim Jumper to Spaghetti Factory, you name it. I worked there. And, this, and these people would say, I hate Sundays. I'd be like, why? Because when you work on Sundays, you have to wait on all those Christians. <laughs> what? Christians are supposed to be thankful people, giving people. <laughs> you know what I would pray on Sundays when I worked? 
Lord, give me all the Christians so that my brothers and sisters who aren't Christians don't have to get them. You know what? It wasn't because I wanted them because I got the worst tips on Sundays. (laughs) But I didn't want those non-Christians to see thankless Christians. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, Christians, and he's knocking, and he's saying, let me in. I've called you. Where do you work? Let's go. I've called you. Let me come to your home. Maybe you're like me, and you suck at being a Christian at home. Can I just say that? I do. I am not the... I have Christian church pastor guy that I'm here, and I wish I could bring who I am here, because I love who I am here back home. But the truth is, when I'm at home, I'm not always the best person. I can be grumpy. I can be mean. I can be a plain-out jerk. And I hate that that's who I am in my own little kingdom. Jesus is knocking on my heart, saying, are you going to bring me home too? He's saying the same to you. Please. And that's the hope, by the way, of the Spirit and the living God that lives within us, non-Christians. There is hope. You can change. The Lord can change you. Will you come to Him? And will you allow Him to work through you? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. You are called. Will you live like it? Will you accept it? This is a really good place for me to shut up and just pray. And that's what I want to do. I want to be the father that God's calling me to be. And I know I'm not alone in that. I want to be the friend that God's calling me to be to those in my life that need that friend that God wants to bring into their life. I want to be the pastor. Yes, I need God's kingdom here at church just as much as you do. Because I can make this all about me. One of my favorite people I love to listen to is Francis Chan, and he says this. He says, when I was doing church, I realized that I could do church almost all, all completely without the help of God. I got so good at it. May that never be where we get. I pray that what we do as a church family is just an extension of God's call to each and every one of you. We want to plug you in to God's kingdom. We want you to connect and bring a home so that you can grow and be the disciple that God's calling you to be. Maybe you haven't even walked through that door. And like I said, now's the perfect time to just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. My context is my own kingdom, and I am dying. Jesus says, Meteo, come to me and my kingdom. For I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Lord, I just thank you so much for what you want to do in our lives and thank you for just being an awesome God. One that doesn't just say, hey, shape up. But you came down and showed us and sacrificed your only son for us. Thank you. May we 
be the church and the people that you're calling us to be. You came to us to show us the right context. And now you're calling us. May we accept that calling and go out and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.